Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Have you ever felt like you didn't fit in? Have you ever struggled to find role models that looked like you and had similar life experiences? Well, if you are a person of color in Hollywood, specifically post-production, the likelihood is extremely high that you know these issues all too well, like a likelihood of roughly 99%, as I discussed in a previous episode with seasoned editor and mentor Monty DeGraff. And if you want to listen to that, by the way, it is at optimizeyourself.me slash episode 107. Now, furthermore, if you are a person of color who might be a college student or a recent grad, you might be concerned about how the color of your skin could affect the chances of you succeeding in this industry, and if it's even worth trying. Well, in today's conversation, I discussed these issues and more with two recent grads and one senior from Temple University in Philadelphia, all of whom are black. Ariel Brown is a senior in the Film and Media Arts program. Mira Watkins graduated from Temple three years ago and has since moved to Los Angeles and is now working as an AE and an editor in unscripted television and digital media. And last but not least, Isaiah Carey is a 2018 Temple graduate who's now working in the video production world as a cameraman and editor in Philadelphia. All three of these amazing, talented, intelligent, and hardworking individuals have navigated their way as minorities in a white-dominant industry, and they have learned some valuable lessons along the way that they have been courageous enough to share with all of us. Now, each of them have adopted the unique perspective to turn their struggles into their greatest assets, and each of them has learned that the adversity they face has made them stronger and more capable in their jobs and in life. And ultimately, nothing will deter them from achieving their dreams. I don't think there's anything else that can be said at this point other than, without further ado, my interview with Ariel Brown, Mira Watkins, and Isaiah Carey. I'm here today with three amazing current and former graduates of Temple University in Philadelphia. I have 
Ariel Brown, who's a senior at Temple University in the film and media arts program. You are concentrating in post. I have Mira Watkins, who is currently an editor and an assistant editor in both unscripted and digital media, who's currently in Los Angeles, and you are a graduate from Temple in 2017. And I also have Isaiah Carey, who is working in the video production world as a cameraman, an editor, and kind of a little bit of everything in the video production world in Philadelphia, and you are a graduate from 2018. I'm really, really looking forward to today's conversation, and I can't thank you enough for being here today. So thank you to all three of you for taking the time to, to be on this podcast with me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So the reason this came about, this is a very unusual circumstance. Usually I like to reach out to people and I like to tell their stories and I identify something that they've worked on, either a project or I've read something about them or I've heard them talk on a panel. And I say, I want to tell this person's story. But in this case, the reason that all three of you are here is because I'm assuming your advisor, this was your advisor, Didi, she reached out to me after I released my interview with Monty DeGraff, talking about both the editing world, but also what it's like being a minority or a person of color in the editing world, in the post-production world. And we talked about this idea that there's essentially 1% of people in the post-production world are black. And that number is somewhat staggering to me. And all three of you on the call today are black, but you're at the beginning stages of your career. I've heard from Monty, who's at the top of the top level. And I also recently did an interview with James Wilcox, who, if anything, is either at Monty's level or even a little bit ahead of that level. But I want to see what things look like from the ground up. I really want our audience to understand what this journey looks like from the very beginning. And I just want you guys to be able to tell your stories, good, bad, or otherwise. So I'm going to start one person at a time because, uh, as everybody knows, in the world of Zoom calls, we all talk on top of each other. Nobody can hear anything. And we spend half an hour just being like, what? What? You're muted, huh? Sorry, I can't hear you. Um, so we're going to try and avoid that. And I'm going to have us go one at a time. But what I would love to know from all three of you is first, what is it about the filmmaking process, specifically post-production, that inspires you? And why is it that you decided to choose it as your career path? And I'm going to start uh, with Ariel because you are still in school. So Ariel, uh, introduce yourself and just talk a little bit about what it is about filmmaking and specifically post-production that inspires you and the kind of stories that you want to be a part of. Well, um, like you said, I am a senior at Temple University in the Film and Media Arts program. What really made me decide to choose my major was the fact that Growing up and throughout school, I had been a participant in all the arts that I could get my hands on. So I took fine arts classes, music classes, theater, choral stuff, band, everything that you can think of. And I wanted to go into something that was my passion in college. And I found that film kind of combines all of those things into one in some way, shape or form. And, and so that's why I decided to choose it and specifically post-production because I just like how it's this type of puzzle to fit everything together. And it's always fun to go in and see like how you can create different versions of the same story. What I find interesting when you ask anybody, specifically younger people, about what it is about post specifically, everybody says the exact same thing. The puzzle. We all love the puzzle. So a way that I put it to people that don't really understand it, that maybe you've never seen a timeline or they see a picture of a timeline the first time, like, oh, my God, it's so pretty. It's so cool. But I don't understand what you do for a living. And I said, basically, editors just play Tetris all day long, but with people's emotions, right? This colored block and this spot and that spot equals people feeling something. And it's this puzzle that we got to figure it out, but we have no box to look at with the answer. 
most people are like, are you kidding me? That sounds like torture. And for the the very few like us, you're like, are you kidding? There's no cooler place that I would rather be. So your story sounds exactly like mine did when I first started, like so many other people's do. So I, I love the fact that you put it that way. Um, so now I'm going to transition over to Isaiah, and I would love to know the same answer for you. What is it about the filmmaking process, post-production, telling stories? What brought you to where you are today, being a recent graduate of this program? I think what brought me here in high school, we all differ and take as many different classes as we can. I had a studio class, which was basically your, your morning news brought to you. And we had some projects that we had to do. And I always got stuck on editing or hated it or my computer would crash or that was always the longest part. So I spent the most time on it and spending the most time on it really taught me all the different things you could do. So high school Isaiah just knew Windows Live Movie Maker and tried to put all these clips together, which was pain in the butt looking back at it really easy. But I always wanted to learn more. And there's so much when you dive into all these programs that different editors use and so many different programs that I loved the fact that I could go on to a computer, log in to edit, and every single day I could learn something new. That was one of my goals. I was like, if I don't go in here and I don't learn something new, something different, something quicker, faster, I didn't learn anything new. So I think the idea of just learning something new every day really intrigued me. And the fact that you can, you control the story if you don't put something in the right way, if you color something a different way, if you add a different song, you, you kind of have, depending on what your project is, you have a lot of control in the emotions uh, and in the storytelling that people never really realize until they sit down with like an editor. And I like that power as control slash I can change something at a snap of a figure. And that really got me hooked on editing even more once I learned those skills. Well, I can tell you already that you're a really good fit for post-production because we're all control freaks. We all say the same thing. Oh, my God, I just want to get my fingers in and I want to control it. And you're not going to tell me what to do with these characters and these performances. I know the dailies better than anybody, right? So you you definitely have that that sense of I really want to get my fingers in and control it. Uh, and it's it's amazing that uh, with my son, who's now 10, he's now getting into the editing process, which I didn't push on him at all. Uh, but he's starting to get into it. And he's learning the same thing um, that my wife is also learning, watching him learn, which is wow. You guys really have a lot of control over what we're watching. Everybody thinks we just take out the bad parts and we kind of assemble all the pieces together, but we really help tell the the emotional story and we can be writers. And it sounds like you really enjoy that that part of the process of really shaping the person's experience. So you're, you're in the right place as well. Uh, so last but not least, we have Mira. Uh, and you're you're a little bit more seasoned. You're the most experienced person on this call today. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about where you are, what you're doing, and why you were inspired to be in this industry. Well, right now I'm uh, doing gigs as a editor and, and assistant editor, switching back and forth. I think that's where you kind of end up post grad is trying to get onto narratives. You have to go through just like digital and unscripted and you have to juggle kind of both those roles until someone gives you that editor shot. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. Um, what got me into filmmaking, I would say, was my love for reading and or it's connected to my love for reading and acting when I was younger reading just like developed my imagination in ways that when I started 
filmmaking classes, I was just like, oh, I'm already picturing, I've already built that skill to picture scenes in my head from just being an avid reader. And then acting, I I had this love for it, but I didn't think I would make it because not a lot of actresses look like me. So I started taking production classes in, at Community College of Philadelphia, and it was there that that filmmaking bug hit me. And I was like, oh, wait, I don't have to be on screen. I could be doing stuff behind screen, and it seems more fun to be doing stuff behind screen anyway than on screen. And yeah, so that's where the filmmaking bug, bug hit me. And then when it came to post-production, it was just realizing that the fun and joy of building that puzzle, as Ariel said, um, and seeing all of these different takes and scenes come together in a way that can really gravitate people. So I'm going to stick with you for a second, Mira. Since you are the seasoned veteran on this call, you have a couple of other people that are a little bit behind you in their journey, and they might have a thing or two to learn about how to get where you are now. But what I would love to know from all three of you, and again, I'll start with you, Mira, and then we'll go in reverse order. Where is it that you really want to be? What, what's the plan? Where do you really want to get with your career? Is it just being a, you want to be a, an editor and scripted or you want to direct or you want to write? Like ultimately, what's the real big picture goal? Why are you here? My big picture is to be, to do projects, whether as an editor, writer, director, and ultimately producer, to bring stories, real stories on screen. Um, and also to provide people with escapism. That's another reason why I also got into film is because I, I really enjoyed seeing other people's real stories on screen. Um, but also during my childhood, I used film to escape. Um, and and it, it is such a, a pure, what, like, what is it, wonder that film can provide that for people what, at any age. You can just, if it's good enough and all the parts align with production, posts, writing, and you can sit down for an hour and a half to two hours and be able to escape and or heal. And that's really my plan. You want to do it all. You want to just produce it, direct and write and tell these stories and tell these compelling stories that are also escapism. So does that mean that in like 20 years, this is going to be a really valuable podcast episode when I talk about, oh, I was talking to the next Shonda Rhimes way back when, <laughs> like just right out of school, right? So is, is that the direction that we're looking at? For sure. I want to note that I don't want to do all of those things at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> She's got um, a busy schedule. She does. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely... The end goal is to be a producer where I can help others tell their stories and provide healing and escapism for others. So I definitely want to go to the other two, but I want to stick with this for one second. When you say you want to tell real stories, talk to me about the stories that you really want to tell with your voice. Can I provide examples? You sure can. Okay. My favorite films. I go by year. I hate when people ask, like, of all time, because that's really hard for us folks. <laughs> um, but last year, my favorite films were Lee Wong's The Farewell, Honey Boy, and The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And those are three stories that, excuse my French, and me and my friends like to call, like, like you want to you present real shit to people. That's mm. what I want to do. <laughs> I want to tell real stories that relate to to a lot of people, but it can still be very specific and you can get on board and feel for these for these characters, for this writing. 
Um, so that's when I, what I mean by real stories. I love it. So I, I'm going to sidetrack a little bit, then we're going to go to Ariel and Isaiah. But there, there's something that I want to talk about really quickly here. Like I told you guys in the beginning, I have no questions. This is just me like yelling squirrel 100 times when I look out the window and we're just going to chat. And the thing that I want to bring up now that I think is really important for everybody to understand is how important connections and relationships are in this industry. You guys are at the very beginning of your journeys, and it's all about the people and the connections and being very specific about what you want. So I'm going to give you an example. If you had answered that question, well, what I really want to do is write and direct, and uh, I, I want to tell stories. Okay, great. So does everybody else. But when I asked you what kind of stories, you knew exactly what those stories were. And one of those stories that you mentioned is Honey Boy. And the editor of Honey Boy is in my program and is a good friend of mine. So how interested would you be in meeting with and chatting with the editor of Honey Boy? 100%. <laughs> Anybody that's listening, be specific. You want something in the world, you put it out there. I now guarantee there's going to be an email introduction where you're going to chat with the editor of Honey Boy. Oh man, I'm nerding out already. I'm excited. <laughs> All from just sitting and nerding out with me for the last 10 minutes on a podcast and we've barely gotten started. So now we're gonna transition over to Isaiah, going back in reverse order. Talk to me a little bit more about the stories that you really wanna tell. So going to Temple and graduating, in film with a concentration in post, I kind of always just saw editing as a, a one-man team aspect. Um, and it wasn't until my senior year where I took a graphics course and I took a coloring course and I had my internship at an editing house where I learned that all the different roles of editing, because um, in school you're kind of doing everything. You're editing, you're coloring, you're doing sound. And I didn't know that those five, six plus other positions of editing even existed until I was a senior, until I was in an editing suite and doing those things. So if you ask me today where I'd see myself ideally in dream, it would be in an editing house, but working with a team of people. Um, the experience that I had in one was phenomenal. And to see someone organize the footage and pass it down to someone who gets a timeline going, to someone who's on the final cut, talking with graphics and seeing what they need to do, to the graphics person coming into your suite and helping you out, to the colorist, I would love to be part of that team. I think something that has always stuck with me that I didn't learn until the very end was coloring and just being able to color grade footage. And I think that to me is the most nitpicky and can change a lot, especially with all the technology we have today with cameras. It's pretty crazy how what you're shooting and with the equipment, what you can do in post and change it color wise. So doing something in a coloring bay but with a team, I love the team aspect of it. And as, as much as I have control over me sitting there coloring it, I wouldn't be able to do it if it weren't for sound, if it weren't for graphics, or if it weren't for someone to put the picture in it together for me. Um, so I think I like the aspect of coloring the most within editing. And if I could sit there and have that with the team uh, in my future as my goal, that would mean a lot to me. Cool. So for you, if we were to, to picture this world that Mira is in, where she's either in the room editing or she's writing something or directing, that doesn't make as much sense for you. You love the post-production facility experience where you have all the equipment and the stages and all the technology and everybody's working together as a team to really finish this thing and get it out into the world. Yeah, that is, that's my dream. That's my goal. That's where I'd love to see my future and see something going with. Uh, that's what I studied in school. It's funny because right now I'm only doing that a little bit, maybe like 25% of the time. 
Um, right now, majority of my work is actually out on set and in production. So I had no clue what production world was like until I graduated. And during an editing day, they needed some assistance and I hopped on set with them. So with the past two years, I've kind of been really going on different sets, commercials and being in the production world, which I'm a big advocate of like, you got to learn everything. Like if I don't know what that sound person's going through, what the camera's person's going through, I don't have as much like heart or story like when I'm editing. Because that's not till the very end. So right now I've really got to see the whole pickup camera, setup camera, build camera, go to location, everything from PA up to being a first AC in the world, in the production world. So I love the camera department. That's where I've like niche to and that's where I've like found my happiness, so to say. But I still have a love for editing that I don't think will ever go away. So do you find that you become more interested in production or less interested in production the more that you do it? I find that I become more interested just in the different the different aspects of it, from working on commercials to TV shows, campaigns, or even some days on a movie. They're all different. Mm-hmm. Nothing is the same. Uh, and you can see that from what type it is to the budget that they have to the crew that you're with. Uh, and the crew, the, it's probably a good 60 people that I'm like in and out with within the Philadelphia area. They're like a family. Um, and they have taught me more than I could have ever imagined production-wise, which I didn't study any of that in school. I strictly focused on editing. I had three years of regular editing. I had graphics. I had sound. I had color correction. So to me, there was no there was no production-related things. And I chose to take the post-production path, so that's all on me. But to see production side of things when all I knew was the back end is very eye-opening and very enlightening to see that they spend just as much time into it and when I'm on set, a lot of people know that I came from post-production. So very seldom you will hear it. But when you do hear, oh, we can fix that in post, a lot of eyes turn to like whatever editors are on set or the DITs and they know what's going on. They're all like, excuse me? What was yes, going on? Exactly. Because they know, let's wait, let's take five minutes. Let's see what we can do. Yeah, well, the, the, the reason I asked is because I found the more I did production, the more I wanted to be an editor wasn't my world. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that it works for you. And even though people can't hear it right now, Mira's head is going, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like she, she gets it. Um, yeah, production, not my world. I want to just sit in my dark room by myself. Let me do my thing and tell my stories. Um, and it sounds like you've got a nice blend of the, the entire world there. So that's great. Um, so moving on to Ariel, I want to talk to you about the same question. Tell me, big picture, where it is that you really want to go and the stories that you want to tell. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here 
than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. I'm still kind of figuring it out, uh, but the thing that I'm absolutely in love with right now is animation. So anything I can get my hands on animating is what I'm trying to do. And if long-term I could become some type of animator, whether that's 2D, 3D, compositor, whatever I can get my hands on, I'd really love that. But I'd also enjoy doing like a lot of just normal editing work. I forgot that first part of the oh, question. No, that's fine. So you, you nailed the first part. It's the second part. Um, what kind of stories do you want to tell? What do you want to be a part of? I am in love with the magic of filmmaking and the magic that you can find within films. So for example, my favorite types of stories are ones like um, Hayao Miyazaki's Howl's Moving Castle was one of my favorite movies of all time, favorite anime movies of all time. Um, And I just like the way that it's just these seemingly normal characters that are taken into this almost fantasy world or like semi-realistic fantasy world. And they just go about their lives and how they can progress and persevere through like all these wild situations. Because I really believe that anyone can do anything as long as they put their mind to it. And I've yet to see that fail. So that's the types of stories that I want to show. Anyone just being able to do their thing. And it sounds like you're more interested in the actual design aspect of it, meaning being a 2D or 3D animator actually doing the drawing, the compositing, the modeling, as opposed to the editing. Is that uh, correct? Yes, so the, the reason I'm putting all these together is, again, the more specific it is, the more I can start to think in my brain, who are who are the people that I could potentially bring all of us together? Because I don't want just Mira to walk away and be like, ha I'm going to meet the editor of Honey Boy. And Isaiah and Ariel are like, well, what did we do wrong? So I'm, I'm trying to put all the pieces together to get some of the specifics and see what connections I can help make for you. The reason, though, that I want to talk about where you really want to get and the stories that you want to tell is that I'm sure that all three of you know that – Making it in this business is really stinking hard. This is one of the most competitive, most difficult industries to make it in, and that's for everybody. But one of the reasons that Didi wanted me to have this conversation with you today based on my conversation with Monty is specifically what the journey has looked like for you so far through going uh, in undergrad through film school and now for those of you that are out in the real world and the challenges that you're dealing with being very much a minority, not only in general in society, but one of the statistics that I've talked about on multiple episodes now is the fact that in the post-production industry specifically, 1% African-American. To me, that number is just like staggering. Like how does that even happen? So I want to really talk to you guys and have an honest conversation about the experiences that you've had thus far 
And what are some of the things that you're concerned about moving forwards? Because all three of you are clearly very passionate. And I haven't worked with any of you, but it sounds like you have the drive. I'm going to assume that you have the talent and I wanna see you guys succeed, but there are challenges that you have already endured and you will continue to endure that I've never endured, that I never had to see. I've always considered myself somebody that works very hard. I've paid my own dues. I grew up on a small dairy farming community of 400 people and that town of 400 people was seven miles from our house. So going to Hollywood in Los Angeles was as foreign as any idea to me imaginable, but I didn't realize that there were a lot of advantages that perhaps I was getting that others weren't. So I'm gonna stay with you, Ariel, since you're still in school, and I was wondering if you would be willing to share any of the experiences that you've had. It doesn't have to be negative, but just any of the experiences that you've had that you feel have made this a challenge for you, given that you don't walk into a room and everybody looks exactly like you and has the same experiences as you. There's been quite a few things that have like led up to where I am now. We'll start with, I guess, high school, because that's where a lot of my story kind of begins with film. So for reference, I grew up as a military child, so I've kind of moved to a ton of different places. I've gone to like eight schools in my lifetime, nine if you include Temple. And at my second high school um, that I attended, it was 97% white and then 3% everything else, and maybe I think it was 1% black, if that. So long story short, there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me. There weren't any teachers that looked like me. Um, and so sometimes it was a little intimidating to try to find someone to help mentor me, help me figure out where I wanted to go in college or maybe for a career path. And I guess the biggest difficulty I faced trying to figure out what I wanted to do was trying to join like all these other arts programs that I kind of mentioned earlier. So in previous schools, I was sitting in like an upper band and I was trying to do like some higher choirs and I was in the theater program and I get to my new school and my band director doesn't believe I know how to play my instrument, even though he's never heard me play. He doesn't even know what I play. And I asked him if I could audition for the upper band since I was new to the district. I didn't know that you'd audition over the summer when I was moving there. Uh, he told me that he didn't believe I could do it and that he didn't think that I would even need to audition because I wouldn't get it. And it took weeks of bugging him. So well into the school year when he was finally like, well, okay, if you really want to audition, let's audition. And I'm just like, at that point, I just told him, you know, it doesn't seem like you guys would want me in that band anyway, so I'm not going to do it. So I transitioned to choir and did a hybrid band choir schedule and tried to progress myself through there, through theater. And then eventually I kind of went through my process and with all my classes and stuff. And it was just fighting with like advisors to let me take the classes I wanted to take, them telling me that I couldn't take, I couldn't take the theater class and I couldn't take the film class because I didn't have good enough grades yet. I had all A's since like middle school. And it was, it, it was just, it was an up and down process, kind of bad. But when I got to Temple, I kind of got to grow and expand on my own. I didn't have people trying to direct my entire life. And I joined a club called Wandering Studios. I don't know if Mira or Isaiah remember that club, if it was a big thing then. I met a lot of people through there and I got to grow and I got to join the executive board and get to try all different types of positions on set and figure out where I really, what I really loved and wanted to do. And I got to make a lot of friends and connections with people that I don't think I would have made otherwise. And I think that coming to Temple and getting to network with people and join all these film programs just really let me blossom out of like that kind of box that my 
compulsory education experience was trying to put me in and grow from there. All right. So I'm going to move on now to Isaiah. And I would love to know a little bit more about your experience. I guess we could we can start wherever you like, but it probably makes sense to start um, at the university level because you went to Temple where uh, Ariel is going now. And for those that don't know, Temple is in Philadelphia. So I'm going to assume because you're in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love in the film program, like everybody's just like you and everybody, you know, has the same background and there, there shouldn't be any of these problems, right? Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Temple University is in Philadelphia. It's on the north side of Philadelphia, so it's in people call it North Philly. Uh, it used to be called Temple Town, like way back in the day. So if you know Philadelphia, you know that North Philly isn't the best part, depending where you're at. But the university is smack dab there in the middle, uh, so it's not it's not a center city campus. So there is some backing. Um, it is a city of brotherly love. Philadelphia has taught me more than I could ever imagine. Uh, but Temple University, it is a brotherly love university, but it's not exactly that. Um, it is the most diverse campus I've ever been to. I've been to a lot of campuses with different work. So I, I think that Temple does an amazing job at that. I think that they have something, almost someone from every country, um, like in their business, center, there's like a flag from everyone. So it is a very, very diverse school, but there's a graduate of 40, a bunch of kids. There's a graduate 10,000 plus, something like that. I graduate, there's 40,000 in the school, I think. But in my post-production classes, I was the only black one. And I think in my film, when you look at cinematography and sound, I think there may have been five when you look at all of film. Uh, so I was the only black one studying the concentration in post. And I think there was, by the end of it, senior project-wise, I think there was 15 of us total. Uh, so I was the only one and I was the only editor uh, so I didn't walk in the room and everyone looked like me. But on campus, I did feel that environment of other people looking like me and feeling comfortable. And it's actually probably something that most people don't realize on a college campus is like once you step off of Temple, um, it's brotherly love. And it's people who have been there before Temple's university. And I always felt safe. I always felt comfortable walking along the streets, going back home to my house where other students might not feel safe or might think of it in a bad aspect which is really funny when you look at other universities where they're like in the middle of nowhere and it's just like that college town and there's no one else temple gives you the flip-flop of that um where those other minorities might feel a little sketched out walking home uh, so not to say that made me feel any better or anything but it definitely was uh a role and i did notice that with it growing what was the question again i'm sorry i'm right what, no do, do you you pretty much answered the question but what i wanted to, to know a little bit more about now now that i can picture in my mind the general demographic of temple it's in philly but then all of a sudden you say well yeah but i was the only black kid that was in the you know cinematography or editing so we we get a picture that even in philadelphia where you think of all cities where in a filmmaking or post-production department, you wouldn't have the same challenge that you might have in the industry in LA or anyone else. You have all the same challenges. So talk to me, and you don't have to, to go any more personal than you're comfortable with, but you had an experience specifically with your senior thesis where you, you did not have a good experience and we're, we're going to assume it was probably because of the demographics that we're talking about. So share whatever it is that you're willing to share about this experience specifically and how it has informed your view of the industry and you know what you may or may not get involved with in the future. Okay, so at Temple, you have your senior film, you create a short, a lot of students send their shorts off to 
every film, you spend the whole senior year working on it, trying to send it to every film festival that you can, fundraising all the money that you can. Um, this is basically your creme de la croix, like what you want to showcase all of your years and what you want to send out to people and say, hey, I made this, hire me. Hey, I can do this. Hey, this won this at this film festival, which is a pretty big thing in the industry. For me, I was completely focused on that, ready to go gun forward. Um, but on my team, so out of the four seniors in it, a director, cinematographer, producer, and myself, editor, I was the only black one. And then out of the rest of the students that we hired from PAs to assistants and everyone, again, I was the only black student on that entire project, for, which spans your whole year. That is your whole senior year. That's which, That was the only class I had that mattered my senior year that I put 100% of my effort into it. The relationship that I had with my director, who it was his story, he wrote his script that he was attempting to tell. He didn't have basically the respect for an editor that a director should have, which we were taught, JD taught us that. She was like, some editors aren't going to realize, or some directors aren't going to realize what that story and how, to, how your role plays in it. But from the start, from when we got put together as a team, there was always a misconnection, a connection where my word wasn't heard and where I wasn't valued for my skill base or the information that I could give to the team. And when it's your word and you're trying to be a team player and I played sports my whole life and you're trying to put everything you can into this project and you just get completely ignored, like ghosted, no text, you get not sent the invite to things that involve the team or gatherings or parties or like pre-production meetings. When you're completely ignored, things start to hit and it's like, okay, what did I do? Or what is, what am I not bringing to the table that they don't want me involved in? I'd, I'd like to think that I'm a good editor. Uh, I made it this far. You have to get accepted in the concentration. So I knew it wasn't my skills. I knew I had an internship at one of the best places you could have in Philly. Um, so something was missing there. And it wasn't until Didi kind of brought it to me. And so I took a step back and realized about myself that it was because of my skin tone. It was because of my color that they kind of just didn't want anything to do with me. They didn't care that I had the experience. They didn't care that I knew how to be on set with them, how to data wrangle, how to manage their cards. They didn't care about any of that information. They just didn't want me involved. Um, I don't want to say it was, was the whole team. I think it was definitely really heavy on like the director. Um, and because he was so heart stuck on his image of his team and this project that he was trying to pursue. Um, so for me that I ended up dropping the project. So I, I graduated college and didn't have a senior project, uh, which was really difficult for me. Um, I still worked and helped on other projects um, and canceling my senior project for my health, honestly, because it was getting pretty toxic, the communication between each other. Um, and even within the professors, like talking with the students and us and sitting us down, it wasn't going anywhere positive. Uh, so for me to step away from it was the best situation at hand and to realize that it was a factor of who, who I am and I can't change that at all was really disheartening but it made me grow as a person and it made me realize that, hey, I don't have this senior project, but I'm gonna go put 110% more into something else. And that something else was my internship, which led me into the real industry. It was working in a real post-production house and getting that extended for another year and then being in that editing house and working forward. Now that I looked back at it and which said that question, I do believe that I was the only black person in that editing house, which looking back at it now, that is sad. But everyone there treated me with the utmost respect. I felt comfortable there. It was a family and I felt at home. So yes, I was the only black person, 
but they welcomed me and they made me feel comfortable and they accepted my skill set and who I was for me. And to me, the rest didn't matter. Um, I was happy to be welcomed. And yet it is sad that I was the only black person, but I was brought into a family and accepted for who I was. And I'm thankful every day for that. And I'm still with that, those people today. And those people made me who I am today. And I work and grow every single day with them. And without them, I wouldn't be here. So I know this may not be a a really easy question to answer because it's a little bit hypothetical. And by the way, Mira, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm still here. We're going to get you next. Don't worry. But what I'm curious about is looking at this experience with the senior thesis and knowing that you really had no control over the circumstance. It's not like you went into this and you realized, oh, this guy wants to tell a comedy and I don't really enjoy comedy or I'm not good at cutting comedy. It wasn't, it wasn't about something tangible where you can say I either wasn't prepared, I don't have the skill or I'm not a good fit. The only reason this didn't work was because of the color of my skin and I have no control over this. Was there ever any thought that because of that, maybe I just don't want to pursue this career or this direction anymore because I know it's not the last time I'm going to have to deal with this. Um, I was depressed. I So my first year of college, I went to a super small school in the middle of nowhere. I went for sports. There was like horse and buggies there and I didn't really care about my like education career-wise and I realized that's not going to work out so I went to Temple and I think every senior has like their senior showcase or senior thesis or senior project that they work their entire year for to show and when I realized I don't have that and it was canceled I was, I was, I was depressed and like college students say that all the time but I was sad I never thought though that I was going to give up film I had worked my butt off those all four of my years to get there and I got the internship and the job that I had and other wonderful opportunities that I knew I had the skill set. I was thankful enough for my mom to make me strong and super confident that I wasn't going to quit on this. I was, if anything, I was going to get bigger and better and not to gloat or anything, but for him to see where I'm at and where he's not at, that's what motivated and pushed me. I wasn't going to let him put me down. I was going to be the best that I physically could. And for him to look up and be like, wow, I messed up. That could have been the editor of my senior project. And I blew it because I, he was who he was. So I don't have the personality to quit. And I can't see myself ever leaving the industry with the time that I've got in it now and going forward. So I wasn't letting him pushing me down. Well, good for you. The one thing I want to point out uh, to anybody that might be listening, whether they're of similar age, similar place in their career, or maybe even further along, or somebody that's been trying to do this for 20 years, You went through an experience you had no control over, and I'm really sorry that you went through it. What you didn't do is turn it into an excuse. And I think that's a really important thing that people have to listen to. You didn't turn it into an excuse and say, well, I tried, but I just can't make it because people aren't going to let me. You said, no, I'm going to take responsibility for this circumstance. It sucked. I was depressed. Now it's just going to inspire me even more. Now I'm going to work harder. And there's, there's no reason based on the cards you were dealt versus anybody else that you should have to work harder. But that's just the world that we live in now. I'm hoping that we can do something about that. But the world we live in now is you're probably going to have to work harder to get to the same place. But you took responsibility for the situation and you didn't turn it into an excuse. That says a tremendous amount about your character. Thank you. Yeah, it is something in the film world where working hard and hard work does pay off. And it is something that I learned that it is a very slow staircase to the top and that you, you can't give up. 
Uh, you will get where you want to get, but you've got to be persistent and you got, it's a, it's a long process, whatever role or industry that you wanted to take. And I've learned that and I've accepted that and I'm ready to ride this train the whole way until I get where I get. And you will learn so much the whole way, but just like you said, you just got to keep moving forward. I love it. So now we're going to move on to Mira. Uh, like I said, I promise I didn't forget about you. The reason that I wanted to come to you in this order is that, again, you're the seasoned veteran of the group. You've been out in Los Angeles for three whole years now. And I would love to know a little bit more about your experience because everybody in the world that wants to tell stories and be a part of Hollywood, this is where they come. doesn't mean that there isn't industry in Philadelphia or New York or elsewhere. There are plenty of industries in the film and video world. But if you want to tell Hollywood stories, you come to Hollywood. So I would love to know what is your experience since you left Temple and you landed in Los Angeles as far as you've just come in, you've done the hard work, you've been accepted, you have your peer group. Has it been more difficult where you feel like you're struggling to, to really find people you identify with? What has this looked like for you ever since you set foot in LA and you started your career? I would say that it looks very similar to how Ariel and Isaiah described Temple. Um, as you said, there that black people make up one percent of posts. Um, so everywhere I've been, um, either I'm solo um, in the post team, I'm the one black person. Um, I know in Monty's episode, he said that it took him nine years before he saw another black person in post. Those numbers have improved, I can say, in the three years since post graduation, I've come across maybe three or four. Um, other members out, like on a, on an array of different pro projects, but it's never, you know, a well balance of representation in these, in these teams. I was wondering if you'd be willing to, to go a little bit more in depth into one of the experiences that you talked about when we uh, initially chatted uh, off the record uh, about a, a pretty uncomfortable moment that you experienced at one of your jobs. Is this the gentrification one? Yes, it is indeed. Okay. <laughs> um, so what I've noticed uh, in our field is just sometimes a lack of uh, awareness. Um, as Monty and you guys discussed, uh, I wouldn't say our environments are very hostile. I would say in extreme examples like Isaiah, that happens. But I think racism and discrimination is just so passive aggressive now that we either have been molded to ignore it or or we don't even peep it essentially. But in this particular situation, my coworkers weren't aware uh, of, of just how gentrification affects other minorities and how it's detrimental to them. So they were discussing a neighborhood in Los Angeles that's getting gentrified as we on know or you and Zach I know that it's happening and it's happening in Philadelphia specifically on Temple's <laughs> neighborhood. Um, it's happening across the country. I grew up with that conversation of gentrification knowing that it's it's not this great thing. It really puts people out of out of homes and it doesn't build communities who are like people who are already living there. Um, and these particular coworkers, two of them were white men just said that they were uh their their neighborhood was getting gentrified and that gentrifying was great and i remember just like looking around going like uh, is that a joke or is that serious and there was no laughter 
it was just like a pure statement that, you know, it's great. I'm sure I'm, I can understand that statement from your type, your view that for you, it would be great. Um, but for a great deal of people, it wouldn't be. Um, so that's just the situation that I ran into. So again, I don't, I don't think I ran into a lot of hostile environments, but I do think that people can be indifferent or unaware. And I would like to emphasize the unawareness part. Yeah. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, there's there's clearly a, a gigantic lack of awareness uh, on a societal level. Various conversations like awareness is clearly a, a big issue in our society right now. We see it in macrocosm and we also see it in microcosm in the, the film and video world, certainly in the post-production world. So what I'm curious about, and I'm going to stick with you, Mira, for a second, especially if you have this idea of I'm going to be the next Shonda. Is there anything that's going to stand in your way? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> Even my route as a as an editor, you know, as I described, I'm I'm in the digital media and unscripted world. That's not where I want to be. But I've taken upon myself that, like, I mean, I will stick on this route, but I'm going to start writing and shooting my own stuff. My partner is a director slash a videographer and we just decided like we're going to make our stuff because I feel as though that's the only way I'm going to get seen as something else than being put in a box of like she's a unscripted assistant editor so nothing's going to stop me from getting to Shonda Rhimes level. <laughs> well the, the reason that I ask is uh, recently I watched a, a panel that was actually from a couple of years ago but it was talking about this idea of the, the very small percentage of people that are uh, people of color or minorities in the post-production industry or the filmmaking industry as a whole. Um, and I honestly don't know why post is, why the numbers are so low in post as opposed to other ones. I don't, I don't know what the machinations are there. Um, but it was a, a panel with an audience of largely white males. And one of the white males, uh, and this is somebody who's at a fairly high level that's in the hiring uh, process that would be able to hire and build teams, said, 
I, I really want to be able to build teams of more minorities, but all of the resumes that are handed to me are resumes of mostly white males and some white females, but there's almost no minorities in the pile. And they've done studies to find that there's a really high attrition rate from the point that you either get into school or graduate from school. And then over the next five to 10 years, not because there's all this overt discrimination and racism, but like you said, it's kind of passive and there are these biases and people don't even realize they're there, but it causes so many people to say, you know what, just not worth it. I have to work so much harder than everybody else and this industry is already impossible to break into. So I'm curious, I'll stick with you, Mara, first, then I'm gonna go over to Ariel. But what are your fears or concerns about going the direction that you wanna get knowing that you're gonna have to fight a lot of this uphill battle and you're competing against other people that without them maybe even knowing it, they're not going, they're not playing the same game as you. I'm not bothered by that competition and it doesn't deter me from my plan or my dreams. I, I do think that anyone that's not a minority for some reason sees us as the competition. That's why when someone, if that the director on that panel were to put out something, a calling for a black editor or an Asian editor or a Hispanic editor, he gets all this flack from non-minorities, uh, but he's just trying to give someone that that chance. And I don't understand why that's, a bad thing. I'm still going to do my part and do whatever I can to get seen. I may get lost in that if it's a calling for just an editor, um, and then maybe I won't, but still I'll network, I'll still make connections, I'll still make it known that this is my plan and this is what I want to do. And hopefully someone, no matter the ethnicity, is listening and wants to join me or help me, but I'm not deterred by by the negative reaction or, or those who, who dominate our industry, I should say. Yeah. I just wanted to say, cause like we've been talking about this like 1% and just how it's astonishing. Like how is this only 1% of the post industry being like uh, black, black members. And uh, I'm, I'm sure Isaiah and Ariel can talk about students in the film program that compare black students compared to white students. But even there, when I was in Temple, I was one out of four or five Black students of the whole entire program. And that's in Philly, a predominantly Black city. And then on the opposite end, one of my best friends who went to um, a university in Arizona was two, one of two out of the whole film program. And if you look at those numbers at the college level, you can kind of see why when it gets to the industry level, it's still so low. And I think that people don't consider that we're not generations and generations of college grads. Like I'm the first in my family to go to college and graduate. And I have friends who are the first or the second. So, and there's all this systemic uh, racism and discrimination that put us there. And that's why these numbers are so low. Well, I, I very much appreciate you bringing that up. And uh, if the, the only way to, to fix a problem is to be able to identify the problem. Yeah. So I appreciate the fact that you brought that up. And I want to turn it over to Ariel now because you've been uh, very quiet for a while, which is totally my fault. Once again, not ignoring you. Um, but you're in the position where you're just getting into your senior year. And you know okay. that you're going to be moving out into the world. You're going to have to do this whole adulting thing soon. Are you planning on coming out to L.A. specifically or are you still thinking about what your options are? 
Um, LA has been the goal since freshman year. I'm not sure how fast that process will work out with the coronavirus, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so are you concerned about what you might experience when you come out to LA knowing the current composition of the industry and what you might have to endure that other people might not have to? I wouldn't say I'm so much concerned. I know that I'm going to run into some things. It's kind of inevitable at some points. Um, but it's the same like with what Mira said, like I'm not going to be put down by what someone thinks of me. I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to progress in my skill set and I'm going to try my hardest to get to where I want to be, um, even if that takes a little bit longer than it would for other people. And I think that we've learned from the the experience, even with uh, your band teacher, that you're you're just you're not going to take any shit from anyone, right? I, I don't care what you had to say. I'm I'm going to figure it out no matter what. Yeah, I I, I can respect that. So Isaiah, is your plan that you're going to stay in the Philly area and keep doing what you're doing, or do you have uh, bigger and better hopes to go to bigger and better places? Not that Philly isn't a great option. I'm just curious if you have a, a vision for for something else. Yeah. So right now I'm pretty happy in Philadelphia. Um, I will say that when I was at Temple, their LA program is a pretty big program and I did want to go. I just didn't plan my schedule out right with transferring and getting there with the senior projects and everything. So LA like was a dream, but I made Philadelphia my dream and I made it what I wanted to make it. So right now I'm pretty content and happy in Philadelphia. Um, I feel like there's a lot of area and room for me to grow, which is nice. And I'm also an hour train ride to New York and an hour to DC, which are two other huge markets in the area. So it does give me that opportunity from my current house that I could get to New York, depending on time of day within an hour or two. And I could get to DC within an hour or two, which definitely opens me up to an, an even bigger market to market myself in that I'm happy about that. I'm happy I can do too. Awesome. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that you put yourself in the place that you want to be and you have all these various uh, places to go, New York, Philly, D.C. or otherwise. I want to end on one final question for all three of you. Uh, might not be the easiest question, but I want to go back to this idea of you have this person that's hiring and they're saying, I'm not really getting any, any minority candidates. I'm not seeing any of those, those resumes on my pile of resumes. But then maybe they have a candidate or two and they always say, well, but it's just about picking the most qualified. It's an even playing field, and it's just about picking the most qualified. And you want to make it very clear to them why you are the most qualified and how maybe you just being at the same level actually puts you ahead because you've had to work harder to get to the same place. If you were to, to talk to them and just help them better understand what this process looks like from your side of the fence, from your perspective, what would you want to say to that person? I'll stay with you, Isaiah, and then we'll go back in the, in the reverse order, and then we'll finish up. Hmm. Okay. These are not softball questions. I'm just throwing you guys right into the deep end. Yeah, someone hiring me. Um, I've been through a lot of interviews. Um, I've had lots of different jobs, so I'd like to think that I do well with interviews. Um, but in the industry, like we keep talking about this 1% number, and we keep talking about uh, the chance that you have and why I'm not picked and why someone else picked and why there are so many other minorities that have the chance and I don't or vice versa. I think that if you can market yourself, which is a kind of crazy thing to say, if you can sell yourself and if you can bring something to a table, which I think I bring to a table, why I could change a team or why I can change a production and what I can bring value wise or 
the eager aspect of learning. Uh, I think people love to hear that you want to learn and you're, you're intrigued by them and you look up to them and that you envy them. You want to be them is a, another good thing that I think has helped me with it. So I think that if you can bring something different to a table, which everyone says and everyone asks, but you've really, you've got to look outside of it, especially with like the current world and what everyone's going through in today's world. Like a lot of companies are getting a lot of backlash for their ethnic diversity. And these are some huge, like top companies that would have, you've never thought, but because of the steps that people are taking, because of what people are doing, it's now a talk. It's now a topic of discussion. Like we wouldn't be having this chat right now if people weren't doing what they're doing out in the daily world. And now someone's going to think twice. It's like, okay, I, I scheduled 10 people to interview, but only one of them's black. Um, and I hope that that person hiring, I hope they take a second and look back and say, what did I, what did I do wrong? Or I hope these companies take a step back and say, what do I do wrong? And what can he bring to the team that these other nine potentially are all so similar? What is he doing that's different? What is his story? His upbringing is different. What did he deal with in band camp? What did he deal with in a senior project that he didn't tell that gives him that extra grind? Because I think everyone wants that job or wants that position, but we have these stories that we don't, we're so used to it that we don't even tell. And I think just having our voice heard, being able to tell them, I think now, or at least hopefully now, people will go, oh, snap, like he's been through a lot on top of learning everything he's learned or has educated himself with. And he can still bring this to the table. Like he clearly can keep going. So you have to sell yourself. And so don't be afraid to do it, I think is a big thing. Like don't be afraid to be like, yo, I can do this, this, and this. I've been through this hole and I've dug myself out of it. And I'm ready to keep going. Like that's not going to stop me. Um, keep your voice heard. And I think that'll help you with that hiring manager. Um, and smile. I love it. I love it. So Mira, boy, you've, you've, that's going to be a hard one to top, a hard <laughs> one to top, but I'm, I'm going to see if you can top it. So similar question. Um, we're looking at these hiring managers that say they want to bring more diversity, but I just, I'm not given any diversity. I'm just all the resumes that are coming to me are all people that look the same, similar background, but ultimately the only job I have is I need to hire the most qualified candidate and not even look at background or diversity or anything else. What would you say to them and what uniquely can you bring to a project with your voice and your experiences? Just to clarify, me and, and the other final candidate or candidates that they're looking at, we're both qualified on equal level here. Absolutely. Okay. Well then. I would say <laughs> I'm already excited just based on that. So here's what I got to say. I love it. This is definitely putting me on the spot. Um, I'm just going to go with my natural gut reaction to this question. And that's, you know, it's me in this chair, you know, and, and hopefully we got to discuss other things. Um, but it's the personality and the vibe and the energy that I provide, you know, if we're all, we all qualify. If we all can get the job done, then at, at this point, it's just who I am as a person. Do you want me on your team? I know I'm friendly. I'm kind. I'm respectful. I'm very detailed. The story is what drives me, you know, when it comes to filmmaking. So those are things to note. Um, I don't know if I agree with selling myself because <laughs> either you want to go with me or you don't. Either you vibe with me or you don't. 
I'm not looking for a handout just based on my race. Um, I'm happy that I get through the door and I get seen and that means that other people like me can get seen as well. But I think at the end of the day, it just it's a matter of vibe and energy. I know that's like a spiritual like type of <laughs> answer, but that's what I feel. You're, you don't have to worry about that in this space. Not a, not a big deal at all. But the, the one thing I really like that you said was I don't want to be hired just for the color of my skin, right? I don't think anybody wants to be the token black hire, right? I hate to say it because it's a horrible term, but let's just be honest. Like, do, And I know we're doing uh, audio only, but we can see each other on video. Like show of hands, who wants to be the token black hire, right? No hands. You want to be hired based on your merit, based on what you bring to the table, based on your personality, based on your skills, your storytelling ability, your work ethic. Nobody wants to be that token black hire. And I think that there are people that believe, well, if I just hire them for that reason, I've done my job and I've checked off my box, right? That's off my checklist. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. So I think it's really important. If I were to tell one of those people, I'd say, that's not what we're going for here. It's just about having more of an open mind towards more diverse voices in people's experiences, right? That's what we're talking about. Um, so last but not least, now I get to put you on the spot, Ariel. <laughs> Similar question. Um, you're gonna be going out into the world very soon. Um, you may or may not be marketing and selling yourself. If you're Mira or Isaiah, you might have a different perspective on this. Um, but ultimately, you're going to have to put yourself out there and you're going to be dealing with the situation where a lot of times people are going to say it's just about the most qualified. Right. So what what can you uniquely bring? What would you tell to them so they know that you you could possibly be the best fit and what I bring to the project matters? You know, I kind of agree with some things that both Mira and uh, Isaiah were saying, but I really think that confidence is key. I know that I can, I know my skill set. I know what I can do. And I know that if someone wants me to do something or is asking something of me, I can get it done and bring it to the table. I, I do agree with Mira. That so it's, I mean, you kind of have to sell yourself by like putting yourself out there, but also like if you don't vibe with me and that's the situation, that's what it is. But also, I don't know. I would, for all these hiring managers that are like asking themselves these questions, I'm not really sure how those resumes get into their hands, whether it's through their connections or whether it's through some clickable button on a website. But I think, I, I don't know, like I would ask them like, where are they, how are they getting these applicants and how are they um, coming into contact with all of these people? Is it only put into spaces where there's not many um, black people or minority people in the first place to even find out about these opportunities? Um, is it through your connections where it's, say a white person who only knows white people who are only talking about their friends that they know, which is fine, but maybe they should branch out and try to connect with more people to maybe broaden um, the diversity in the industry. I would say that that's very well said. So we're, we're at the point where we're probably going to wrap it up because uh, we're running a little bit long, but I wanted to, I wanted to do this right instead of doing it fast. Um, but I want to just throw it out to any of the three of you could be all three of you could be none of you. Is there anything that we haven't talked about or covered that you want to share before we are done today? You guys can just give me a show of hands and I can uh, pick one of you and we can uh, share anything else that maybe we have missed that you think is important for our audience to listen to. And Isaiah's hand is shot up in the middle of my sentence. So Isaiah, I feel like you've got one more thing you wanted to share with us. Yeah, um, I guess the last thing that I'd wanna share that I guess has kind of been a topic of all of my discussion. If anything, if there's hiring managers out there listening is to take a shot on that kid who may not have all that experience because someone did that on me 
and that really helped me. And I think they turn out to be the best ones. So don't be afraid to take a shot. And for anyone who's dealt with a racism aspect or a tough aspect that is still through skin color or is going through something rough, is to just keep going and to not let that direct your entire life. Because uh, my senior project put me in a pretty bad stump, but I kept going forward and I talked with friends and partners and everything. So there's someone out there in your shoes and there's someone out there in a worse aspect. And you just got to keep keep going through it. So for anyone who's dealing with anything like that right now, I wanted to let that be known because someone helped and reached out to me. So maybe just someone listening to this Mirna story, it'll help them too. Very well said, and thank you for saying it. Ariel or Mira, any final words? And I didn't even have to say it in Mira's hand. Up. So Mira, you're up. Yeah. Final words, final thoughts. Um, I just wanted to bring emphasis on what Isaiah said about, you know, that less experienced individual to that hiring manager. You can take that shot. I know you and Monty discussed how, you know, non-minority post people are saying that, you know, less experienced people are getting their jobs. And I go like, well, at one point you were less experienced and someone took a shot on you. So it's okay that someone else takes, a hiring manager per se, takes a shot on this less experienced person. So I wholeheartedly agree with that too, um, especially if they have that drive, that confidence, that, that willingness to learn. It's okay to take that shot. Love it. Any final words to add, Ariel? I feel like Mira and Isaiah really summed They stole up. it from you. Like, <laughs> oh, yes, what they said. All right. Well, uh, in that sense, uh, we're going to wrap it up. I just wanted to thank all three of you for being here, especially the ones that are on the East Coast, because I've totally ruined your Friday night social lives, um, of which there probably are none in the pandemic. But maybe you still have lives. I don't know. I've been stuck in my house for four months, so who knows? Uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure being able to share all of your stories today, listening to them. I'm really hoping that uh, th these stories find the right people and that we are able to inspire some of them as well. And I will put it out there right now that uh, if there's ever a moment in any of your careers where you have questions, where you get stuck, where you're looking to connect with somebody, you now have me as a resource in perpetuity until I am dead. So until that time comes, I'm going to be available to make any connections that I can. Um, I can already think of, like I said, the one specifically for Mira. I've got an idea for somebody I can connect you with, Ariel. Isaiah, I really want to help you, but you're in Philly and you're not coming out to L.A., so it's making my job harder. Um, so I, don't, I can't think of anybody specifically now, um, but if there's ever any question you have about the process or you do see an area where I can be of value, do not hesitate to reach out to me directly. So on that note, I want to thank all of you for being here. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. 
To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.